friends, and welcome back to Not Just Any Other Story. I'm Anita Capri, and I welcome you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are on episode 12 today, so we're going to continue on with the shopping cart people. And I have my, actually, before I introduce my guests, I want to remind my listeners to please make sure that you rate and review this podcast so that we can make sure that it's more accessible in terms of where it shows up on these platforms such as Apple or Spotify. So please, please make sure you do that. And we will now introduce Olga, who is my guest today, and Anne. You may remember Anne from episode one. So welcome, Olga. Thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and Anne, thanks for coming back. It was my pleasure to come back. I love it. And you know what I realized? You didn't read the, in the first episode. You didn't actually read, no. So we're going to maybe have you read today. Okay. Maybe I won't read at all. <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. So what chapter? We're on chapter 34. And it's I described a little bit in, in, in the last episode that it was called closing in because she's starting now to close in on her timeline in terms of uh, telling less that Harry is her son. So, all right, Olga's getting ready. She's clearing her throat here. Um, okay, so oh, you're going to read uh, chapter 34, and then we'll talk a little bit about what happens. This is a longer chapter, so lots happening here. All right, here we go. Sounds good. It had been a week since Les and I had seen each other. He had to be out of town for a few days for work. Though I was impatient for his company, I was dreading what had to be said when he returned. I'd like to make you dinner at my place on Saturday, he had emailed that day. And though the words across the page were just words, I kept reading them over and over again. They seemed to say instead, be with me, be with me. <laughs> I was thrilled about the thought of spending a romantic evening with Les, and yet I couldn't help feeling nauseous when I remembered that I had to tell Les about Harry. As I pulled a brush through my hair, I noticed my hands were shaking. Harry had just come in through the side entrance by the kitchen and was calling me. Yes, Harry, I'm in here. I could hear him tromping through the kitchen, opening and closing cupboards and scouting out the fridge. I think I'll go over to Keith's tonight, okay? He shouted from the kitchen. I'll be out in a second, I shouted back so he could hear me. A few minutes later, he was knocking on my bedroom door. I invited him in, hoping we could talk while I put the finishing touches of makeup on. What are you guys going to be doing at Keith's, I asked. Well, just hanging out, I guess. Where's your girlfriend tonight? She's gone away for the weekend, some family thing. Oh, I said, smiling in the mirror. I could see his reflection, and it was obvious that he was missing her. So, he began a hint of mischief in his voice. Going to Les's place, huh? <laughs> yes. Are you okay with that? Yeah. He hesitated as he wanted, as if he wanted to say something and then decided not to. What? I looked at him, wondering where the conversation was heading. He smiled. He knew I had caught him. So this guy seems to be pretty serious. I was flabbergasted. I wondered how he would come to such a conclusion, having only met Les once and very briefly at that. I threw him a questioning glance in the mirror. Why do you say that? I tried to keep my hands steady as I put on my earrings. I almost felt afraid that Harry might say something negative, warning me about Les, about his own father, without knowing it. 
Well, you two seem to talk a lot on the phone, and... He stopped himself short. I turned around to face him. And what? Well, it's just that you seem a little different lately. He was absolutely right. I was different. I was, first of all, head over heels in love with Les, and secondly, scared to death of what I knew I had to do. Do you want to get to know him, Harry? I knew my voice sounded a little unsure, because Harry suddenly looked worried. Chill, Mom, he said. I'll get to know him if you want. Harry's cell phone began to ring. It was the perfect moment for an interruption, because with all the anxiety I was feeling, I knew that if the conversation continued, I would probably have begun to cry. Chris is texting me, he said, as he took his phone out of his pocket and pressed on one of the keys, smiling. Then he looked at me, waiting for some sign that it was all right to leave. I kissed him on the forehead, just like my mother. As he turned to go, I added, keep your phone on tonight in case I call to check on you. Though I couldn't see him, I knew he was rolling his eyes. During the 20-minute drive to Les's place, I kept trying to ease my nerves by trying to picture how his condo would look. In visualizing the decor, all I could come up with was the bachelor pad version. My instincts told me that it would have to be done in style, simple and clean, with furniture that would be bold and contemporary. I was not too far off the mark. When I walked into the foyer of the condo, I was standing in a very spacious open area, decorated with sleek furniture and painted in a cool gray. There was a small kitchen, but it opened up into a great room with high ceilings. On one wall, there was a gas fireplace that had been lit for the occasion. It illuminated the room and offset the masculinity of it. The other walls had big prints and photo art on them, mostly in black and white. The only thing that seemed out of place was a big red lazy boy chair. It looked like old corduroy pants and it was a little worn on the arms. When Les noticed that I was regarding this chair with a questioning look, he laughed and explained that it had been his father's chair and that he couldn't part with it after his death several years earlier. I was touched at his sentimentality. It was yet one more reason to fall just a little more in love with him. Here was a man whom I couldn't give up. As my heart started to beat just a little faster at the thought of losing him, I summoned my courage. Before I could lose my nerve, I said, Les, I really have something I need to talk to you about. Ooh, this sounds serious, he teased, half smiling. Well, can it wait? I actually have a surprise for you, and it'll be arriving at any moment. His eyes were still playful, and it was obvious that he was in high spirits. I didn't have the heart to dampen his mood, so I just shrugged and sat down on the smooth black leather couch. He gave me a quick kiss on the lips before he went into the kitchen. I sat there in silence watching the blue flame of the fire dance up and down while I picked the nail polish off my fingernails. He poured a glass of wine for both of us and then pulled out some appetizers from the oven. I started to wonder about the surprise that would be arriving. I couldn't dream of what it could be. Dinner? Flowers? An exotic dancer? <laughs> As my curiosity peaked, the doorbell rang and he went to answer it. Before he opened the door, he looked over at me and grinned. And here's the surprise, just on time. He opened the door and a very attractive woman greeted him with a huge hug. I recognized her immediately. It was the nice lady from the store in the mall, the same one who had left with Les and whom I had mistakenly assumed to be the other woman. She handed him a white box tied with a shiny blue ribbon. 
Here you go, she said, something for dessert. Lust took the box from her delicate hands and led her into the room to greet me. Angel, he began, this is my sister Karen. As I extended my hand to shake hers, I noticed that they were trembling still, and I felt self-conscious that she would notice. But she took my hand in hers and gave it a vigorous shake. I was so surprised at the iron grip she had that I almost forgot for a moment that I was a nervous wreck. Hi, I said with a contagious smile. It's so great to meet you again, she said laughing. We both chuckled at the recollection of my shopping experience with Matt as my chaperone. And how is your brother doing? He's fine. He's back in Florida, actually. Oh, she said, a note of surprise in her voice. Where does he live in Florida? Just outside of Orlando. I wondered if she was taking more than a casual interest in Matt. What a coincidence, she declared excitedly. Our mother is in Florida right now in the Fort Myers area. She lives out there with an aunt for part of the year. Really? I replied, realizing that perhaps her curiosity had nothing to do with Matt's good looks or charm. I didn't know your mother lived in Florida. I looked at Les inquisitively. Well, she does still own a house here, he explained. She comes home in the spring when the weather is a little warmer. And for Christmas, Karen interjected, Mum's sister has lived in Florida for years. After her father died, she started going down there with her sister. She's also widowed, so they're good company for each other. That's really sweet. I pictured the two sisters going on walks together, playing cards, shopping, laughing, connecting only as women do, only as sisters do. Karen seemed to know what I was thinking, and we exchanged warm smiles. During dinner, I noticed that Karen and Les shared the same casual ease with which they did everything. The way they talked and joked with each other was entertaining and endearing. I played it safe and refused to take sides during their squabbling. Though Karen was a few years older than Les, they seemed to have much in common, which, to my surprise, included music, mountain biking, and ballroom dancing. As I listened to their stories, mostly about Les's childhood pranks, I sensed a closeness that I understood very well. In spite of this, I caught glimpses of the older sister knows better complex, which which I was also very familiar. It helped me feel right at home. I couldn't imagine that Karen would be single. She was quite stunning, and I, I was almost jealous of her classic beauty. She exuded warmth and charisma, quality she also had in common with her brother. Before I could wonder any further, she began to talk about her fiancé. They had been together for five years, but it had been a long-distance relationship. He was a salesman for kitchens and had spent much of his time getting divisions of the company to run smoothly all over the country. She talked about the struggles they'd had because of his job, but she seemed happy and in love. I wondered if, when Les had spoken about me to his sister, he had that same sparkle in his eye and excitement in his voice. There certainly were a few moments during the course of the evening when I could feel his eyes on me, following me when I got up to help clear dishes or staring at me intently when I was telling one of my own stories, including our first date when I had tripped on the curb. His attentiveness was obvious, and there was no doubt that Karen had noticed. Her, gr her grin was a dead giveaway as she listened and watched us, but I didn't mind. It felt good to be looked at in that way, and to realize that Les didn't care who was there to see it. Just before 11 o'clock, Karen announced, I can't believe it's already this late. I have to get home and let the puppy out. Oh, what kind of a dog do you have? I asked. A golden retriever. They can be challenging when they're pups. That's right, you're a vet. I almost forgot. 
I smiled and I realized that Les had talked about me with his sister. I was more reassured than ever about us, though it made what I had to say to him that much more difficult. He had shared me with his closest family member. When it hit me, I wondered how I had let it get this far. What kind of pet do you have? She asked. Oh, I don't have any, I blurted out. By the reaction on her face, I realized how odd it would seem that as a vet, I didn't own a pet. <laughs> well, I don't have any yet. I tried to backpedal a little, but I could feel myself beginning to blush. I've just been so busy, I added as I felt my cheeks flush. I knew it sounded pathetic, and I began to wonder if my vet with no pet status was going to ruin any good impression she may have had of me. But Karen, sensing my embarrassment, just smiled and said, I'm so glad we had time to get to know each other, Angel. She gave me a quick hug and a kiss and then did the same to Les. As soon as the door was closed, Les turned to kiss me, his lips pressed down hard onto mine as if he'd waited too long for it. The anxiety that had been creeping up on me throughout the evening seemed miraculously to be sucked out of me in an instant. You know, I have wanted to ask you that same question, he said, looking at me curiously with his beautiful green eyes. I know you're busy, but I'm surprised you don't have a dog or a cat. Okay, I began. It's like this. <laughs> I love animals. I love them so much. I can't stand the thought of leaving them alone all day by themselves. I think it's cruel. And besides, we have a pet cat at the clinic, a pet that follows me around all day. He looked at me as if he were expecting more of an explanation. When I didn't say anything else, he began to laugh heartily, shaking his head from left to right. Oh, Angel, he sighed. You are unique. And then he kissed me again. This time it was softer, and I pulled him closer, wrapping my arms around his neck, taking in every titillating moment of his touch as it would be, as if it would be the last time for us. There's no turning back now, Angel. No turning back. Les took me by the hand and led me toward the couch. Now, he said, smiling, you said you had something to tell me. What was it? I didn't answer right away. I just stared into his face, studying every line and blemish, though there were few. I noticed that under his chin was a small scar that I could only guess was the result of a football injury. I saw Harry in his face, and as I gazed into his eyes, I contemplated the resemblance. Just then, my cell phone rang, and I remembered that I hadn't yet called Harry. I knew it would probably be him. After fumbling around in my purse to find the phone, I answered. It was not Harry, but Bev, whose panicked voice put every nerve in my body on high alert. Angel, thank God you answered. You've got to come right away to the hospital. At the word hospital, my body stiffened, and my heart began to thump so strongly that I could barely hear what came next. Bev began to cry, and between gasps, she tried to talk. Harry's been involved in a car accident. You need to get here right away. She tried to continue, but several moments of silence ensued. Bev, tell me, I cried, feeling the fear in my voice. I knew I must have looked horrified as I stared at Les, whose expression mirrored my own. I could feel my breathing becoming very short and heavy. Your neighbor, Kathy, called the restaurant. She didn't have your cell number with her. So she called the bistro. Just tell me, Bev, what's happened? I was desperate now, and I braced myself for news about Harry. He's unconscious, and 
there watching him closely, she continued, taking deep breaths as she spoke. I've called mum and dad. They're on their way. He's at the Toronto General. Just get there as soon as you can. End of chapter 34. Yeah. So he's alive. <laughs> um, I just wanted to bring... Okay, this is, has nothing to do with what we just read. But um, one thing that came to mind, I laughed to myself. What, a couple of things with an exotic dancer <laughs> that she was thinking like, what the hell? anyway I'm good we got it I'm glad we got a laugh out of it because that was the purpose of that but when it's she talked about picking her nails yeah I used to do that oh uh, oh do I do that still nervous. Yeah, Olga lot. says that I do that still okay. um yeah. yeah I do you do but I I'm just gonna tell you about the funniest little story when I was in high school I was in choir okay and my friend who was next, I used to always sit next to me. Sorry, Anne, if I'm my hip backs, I'm talking towards Olga here. Um, I used to pick my nail polish and it would fly across on her music sheet. <laughs> so, yeah, it was funny. It used to fly everywhere. And when I do it now and I'm laying on the couch, it just lands on my belly. So then I collect it all in my shirt and put it in the garbage. But anyway, no. So that was just a silly little tidbit. But what did you think about this chapter? Okay. Oh, yeah, no, I think it was a great lead up because you don't see it coming at all. Yeah. You don't see that phone call and yeah. Harry being in the hospital. That, yeah, that's a good twist. Mm -hmm. And it's near enough to the end of the story that it kind of leaves you thinking, how is this going to get resolved at this point? Yeah. And what a horrible uh, what's the dilemma to be in when you haven't told him yet and now his son is in the hospital? unconscious mm -hmm. so you don't even know yeah yeah it was really hard to write because I was trying to picture how I would feel and how devastating and how scary it would be mm -hmm. and it's a parent's worst nightmare isn't it yeah really and did you want to comment yes um I really want to know what she wants to say to him <laughs> what do you mean to tell him yeah yeah yeah, I really want to know that. And I can relate to um, the feeling because I had that with my son when um, he had an epileptic seizure. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I was, and I followed about a foot behind the ambulance, you know, because I didn't, I wanted to get there at the same time as him, so I know exactly how she felt, you know. And it doesn't matter how old your children are, right? Because they could be an adult child, it doesn't matter. All right, so we're going to go on to chapter 35. And I love the title of this. Um, so you know something major is going to happen here because it's called Resolve in a Hurry. Okay. During the ride to the hospital, it seemed as if everything were moving in slow motion. The lights, the people, the buildings, they were all blurred and distorted. Les and I barely spoke, and the vacuum of silence made me feel as if I was suffocating. My chest began to fill with an angst and fear that I had never known before. It didn't feel real, like it all belonged to some other world, some other person's reality or nightmare. Les squeezed my hand, and the warmth of his touch suddenly triggered a sense of the here and now. The tears began to flow but not in the way that I was used to. They rolled almost gently down my face, but in constant, persistent streams. My cheeks began to burn from their salty sting, 
but I didn't wipe them away. I just let them fall into a leaky tap onto my blouse, which became soaked through by the time we reached the hospital. Les pulled the car up to the emergency entrance, and I readied myself, my fingers on the door handle, and preparing to jump out as soon as we came to a stop. But as I began to step out of the car, mumbling, thank you, to him, as if he were some kind of semi-stranger, I realized that it was his son in there too. It was his son who was fighting for his life. I felt every muscle in my body tighten. I was frozen on the spot, and a wave of nausea swept over me. Angel, angel, I could hear Les's voice somewhere in the background. The next thing I knew, I was slumped over, back in the passenger seat, trying to catch my breath. Les's arm was around my shoulder, his face next to mine. I didn't have to look at him to know that there was concern and love written all over it. He was stroking my hair and telling me to breathe slowly. Then, as if some other being had possessed me, I looked up at him, felt my hand take his into mine, and my mouth began to move. Words escaping me, that I no longer had any control over. It didn't sound like my voice, so monotone and calm, but it was my voice. It was my voice speaking these dreadful words. He's yours, Les. I looked into his eyes and waited for him to understand. He didn't speak right away. His eyes narrowed and it was clear he was confused or perhaps bewildered. What? The question was long and drawn out. I know it's only taken me 15 years to tell you, but I'm telling you now. He's yours. Harry's your son. My voice sounded eerily steady and calm. I had said what I needed to be, needed to be said and couldn't wait any longer. If ever I had a, d- a doubt about God's existence at that precise moment... I knew that only some other power or force beyond myself could have given me the ability to tell him. That gentle affirming push that I had needed had finally arrived unexpectedly, but at the most crucial of times. I could only conclude that it had been God-given. I didn't wait for West to respond, which I knew would not be immediate. I had to get Harry. I hoped that Wes would feel the same way. I left him there, sitting in his car alone, as he processed for the first time the news of being a father, of having been a father for a long time without even knowing it. I knew it was cruel, but it was necessary, and I just didn't have the luxury of consoling or apologizing for anything at that matter. At that moment, as I pushed my way aggressively through the revolving doors at the emergency entrance, I noticed my father standing by the elevators waiting for me. His familiar face, though fraught with deep-set lines of worry, gave me an inkling of comfort as I rushed over to him. When the elevator doors opened, I practically knocked down the woman who was coming out. Take it easy, honey, Dad said, just a couple of floors up. His voice was calm and reassuring. It felt like home. How is he, Dad? 
He's stable, so you can go in to see him, but... Oh, God, I hate when people say but after giving you good news. Okay, so I just, I wanted to stop at that point because I wanted to know what you thought about how she told him. I actually thought it was very strange for her to say that uh, and very... I don't know, almost unkind because they didn't. He, there was no chance for her, for him to say anything or for her to say why. Or I mean, she just said it, just blurted it out almost. So I was kind of surprised at that. Yeah, it was supposed to be a bit surprising. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in a situation like that, your reasoning is is has been taken. You have emotional hijack, really. I think that's what it was. It was an emotional reaction. It was like all the self-control that she had um, been able to sort of hold on to up until that point disappeared. It was an emergency reaction. I don't think she thought through because the thought as the reader is, oh my gosh, if Harry doesn't make it, then this poor man is finding out that he has a son and could possibly lose him and never have known him. So that part is, seems very unfair for for the father, right? For less, but yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that it's that way, everybody, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's absolutely. I think it absolutely could happen that way because she panicked. She panicked. She thought, oh my gosh, I've never told him. And it, like, yeah. and I, yeah, I think she just needed to get it out. And it was like, there was no time left. This is, it's now or never but didn't necessarily think it through in terms of the impact on Les and then left him in the car. <laughs> Poor guy. I know we're laughing about it. Poor guy. And she'd been wanting to tell him for some time now. We've, we've realized that, haven't we? That she'd been wanting to tell him for some time and then never got around to doing it. So, Hence the title, Resolve in a Hurry, yeah. right? Right, right. right. Okay, so we're going to we're still in the same chapter. Anne's going to continue reading for a bit, and then I'll read after that. Okay, so here we go. My heart began to pound so violently that I couldn't concentrate on what he was saying after that. What? Say that again? I said, my breath catching on my in my throat. The elevator doors opened, and my father took my arm, leading me forward with his hand under my elbow. We went to the right and then down a long corridor where there was a set of metal doors. There was nothing else between us and them. No hospital beds no or carts, no heart monitors, not even a damp fire extinguisher. Just a stark white floor leading to what looked like the doors of doom. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to know what was beyond them. My father stopped be just before we reached the entrance to the ICU and spoke slowly as if he knew that I could only take in one word at a time. Harry is alive. He's breathing and there seems to be no major internal damage of any of his vital organs. I nodded as he spoke and the tears began their familiar journey down my face once again. I knew I should have felt relieved, but I knew there was still the ominous but in my father's recount. Harry is still unconscious. He has a good head blow to a good blow to his head. His voice wavered 
and I knew it must have been pure agony for him to tell me that Harry was in a coma and that the extent of his trauma to his brain, if any, was still unknown. I just don't understand, I said pleading. Where was he? Why was he in a car? He was with that friend of his, um, Keith, and the older brother was driving. What was his name now? Kevin, I interjected. Where were they going? They were getting a pizza or something. Anyway, some car came over the road from the other side and sent them spinning. I closed my eyes, picturing the small car turning around and around like a toy car, like one of the Hot Wheels Harry used to play when he was a little boy. Why don't I finish explaining later? You should go in now. I knew he was right, but I had to know everything. I had to know exactly what had happened. What was it that almost killed Harry? Okay. So she's, uh, so you're kind of hearing the details of what happened. And um, I, I was trying to picture as a mother, what I would be thinking when I'm listening to this, right? Like the car spinning around and around, right? Like, we're again, I, I, it, oh, I just, yeah. the feeling so awful. Yeah. This is supposed to be a rom-com, but it's also got some dramatic parts. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to continue on um, with the last part of this chapter. Oh, thanks, Olga. So Olga's going to help me here by holding the page for me. Um, okay, so Angel's uh, one asked another question here. Was he wearing a seatbelt, I asked, as we made our way through another stark hallway. Yes, he would have been worse off if he hadn't. I don't understand, Dad. If he was wearing it, why is his head? My voice trailed off as I realized that I couldn't even say the words. He hesitated before answering, but my expression pleaded for the truth, so he continued. They hit a hydropole, and Harry, his words were cut short as his eyes began to fill with the same desperate tears of worry. I didn't need to hear the rest, at least for the moment. It was painful to see my father lose his composure. Instantly, I had a flashback to the moment when I had announced my pregnancy to him and to my mother. The memory of his face, his disappointment, as torturous to me as it was at the time, suddenly seemed so unimportant in light of the present situation. I couldn't believe I'd spent so much time worrying about giving life when that life, which was so precious, could be taken away from me so easily. I hugged my father just then and I knew that finally everything else just didn't matter anymore. As we parted and I searched through my purse for a Kleenex to wipe my face, I realized that I hadn't even asked about Harry's friends, Keith and Kevin. As I was relieved to learn that both were not as seriously hurt, Keith was sent home with scrapes and bruises, but Kathy's oldest son had a slight concussion, despite the fact that airbags were deployed during the impact. He was still being monitored, but on a different floor. My mother and Bev, who had just arrived, were in the small waiting room just beyond the metal doors. I couldn't speak as we all embraced simultaneously, words of comfort being murmured through soft, muffled tears. Just then, one of the nurses came in and asked if Harry, I was Harry's, Harry O'Leary's mother. Yes, I am, I answered as I stepped toward her. Okay then, Ms. O'Leary, I can take you in to see your son and the doctor will speak to you shortly. 
I nodded, preparing myself to see Harry hooked up to machines that would be monitoring his every breath and heartbeat. As we made our way toward the door, Les walked in. Our eyes met. As our gazes locked for a brief but poignant moment, I realized that he was there as Harry's father, not as my boyfriend. As the nurse led us toward another set of doors, Les came up beside me. Dad was trailing behind us, and the sound of multiple footsteps echoing in the wide, empty corridor was daunting. As she pushed through the doors, the nurse turned around to say something to us and noticed Les. Are you a family member as well, sir? Before Les could say a word, my father intervened. This is the boy's father. And there it was. He knew. Whether he had figured it out for himself or Mom had told him, he knew. I was glad that he knew and that he had acknowledged it so boldly with an unquestioning acceptance. And it didn't matter if the only reason he did so was because of the extenuating circumstances. The nurse nodded. Without any more notice of less, she took us to the room where Harry was lying alone, hooked up to more machines and wires than I had imagined. I'll let you two go in, Dad said as we reached the doorway to Harry's room. They only like us to be in here two at a time. He gave me a reassuring hug before he left us. We took our places on opposite sides of Harry. I felt his hand being careful not to touch the intravenous tube that was bandaged in place. I let out a slight gasp when I noticed the cuts and bruises that covered his arms and his face. Those will go away, Angel. It was the first thing Les had said to me since I had broken the news to him. His eyes searched mine as if he expected an explanation, but then quickly shifted back to Harry's face, which was partially covered by an oxygen mask. The smiling, teasing eyes and the amused expression he seemed to always have when he looked at me were now so solemn. Though we were only a few feet away from each other, just a touch away, I could feel the distance between us grow as the hours dragged on. There were long periods of silence between each utterance, utterance, each simple, polite question. Are you hungry? He had asked at some point. Then later, would you like a drink? I replied, no thank you, each time. It was as if we had become instant strangers. I tried to talk about Harry a little, telling Les a few things about him, his favorite sport, which just happened to be football, how he flicked his finger across his legs when he was nervous, how he was always teasing me. Les just nodded and tried to smile, but it seemed forced and distant. I felt small and ashamed that I had waited so long to tell this wonderful, caring man that he was Harry's father. I suddenly remembered Tilly's words in the airport. He might be mad as hell, she had said. How could I have thought otherwise, even in the best of circumstances? And now there was the possibility that Harry might never know who his father was. As I played out that fateful scenario in my head, I suddenly realized that if Harry's head injury was debilitating, he may still suffer from memory loss, in which case he wouldn't know me either. It would certainly put me in the same position as Les. Harry would have to get to know me all over again, both of us from scratch. Was this God's plan? Was this my penance? Wipe the slate clean? For the first time, I understood the implication of Tilly's warning. Imagine losing all those years as if they had never existed. Yes, that would make me angry, especially if someone else had made that decision for me. My eyes traveled slowly from Harry's pale face to the mesh of wires that were joined to machines that hummed or beeped every few seconds. I turned to look at Les. He was sitting now, looking down at the floor, his arms propped onto his knees and his hands holding his head up. He looked vulnerable for the first time since I'd known him. It seemed at that instant as if he were someone else, someone I barely recognized. Les, I... 
He looked up at me, his expression blank, his eyes red with fatigue. He waited for me to continue. Forgive me, I whispered, fighting desperately to hold back the tears. His stare was penetrating and hard to read. It was then I realized that perhaps he couldn't. Perhaps he was incapable of forgiving me, even if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a hard time. Hard time for them both. He has every right to be angry. Mm-hmm. If he's angry. Yeah. We, we don't, yeah. He to yeah. Be, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, I, I well, the fact that he's not saying anything, that yeah. he's sort of, he's keeping it in, I guess because of the situation. But he has every right to be. He's probably in shock. Yes, yes, yeah. Too. Yeah, I'm wondering. And, and I bet he's thinking, you know. Yeah, back. Uh, yeah, thinking back and wondering why. Well, I think... You know, in those situations, I think there's a lot of emotions that are at play at once. And so he's probably shocked, angry, sad, regretful. Like he just, he's probably like going back and forth between all these emotions. And how do you act and react when these are all sort of fighting for center stage, right? Olga? And it also changes their whole relationship. So that's the other thing. He's like... You know, you're flashing back to the beginning of meeting this wonderful person and falling in love. And then like, what? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other level to have to process. And then the other thing is, would he remember her? Because I always wondered that, like how much he would recognize her once she told him who she was from knowing her back when she was, you know, a teenager and got pregnant. Well, he does, he does remember her because in the, the, when she had to waitress in her sister's restaurant, he, he, once he knew her name was Angel, cause he thought she was Betty, right? right? And then once he knew her name was Angel, I think it just clicked because he said to her, I knew an angel once. That's how we sort of started the conversation. So I think he remembers quite clearly who she was at that point. Yeah. Yeah, but then now but you're, then adding this you're adding this whole other dimension of, oh my God, I think I would be so mad. I would be furious. I think he had every, he is being very polite and civilized, but I would have, like, I would have a hard time looking at the person. I'd be so mad. Looking at them the same way. Yeah. I wonder what he does remember about him. You know, how, I wonder how he does remember her. Well, they had a night of sex. (laughs) Well, they did go out with each other for, I think, like they did see each other for a short time, a couple of weeks, which, hey, on The Bachelor, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I think they got to know each other quite well in terms of personality, but then he left. They were teenagers. teenagers. You change. I think your basic personality, though, stays the same. Like I look back at when I was a teenager and I think I'm basically, whoa, the same person. Somebody's speeding by in a car. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just interesting because it was a very short amount of time in their young lives. That, yeah, I don't know. It's just. But yet they came together again. So, yeah. again, there's an element of fate here. Oh. You know how much I love yes. talking about fate, right? Yeah. Anyway, well, um, or that he, I always wondered, would he have, rec- like, would he have thought that Harry looked, like, rec- recognized anything in Harry's features or mannerisms? That He only met him once, though. 
So he's not thinking that probably, right? Now he has um, met him the once. I wonder now that he knows that he's the father. I wonder if now he knows whether he's thinking back. Well, you know, maybe, you know, about personality, about looks. You know, does he look like me? Does he? Yeah. He's he's for sure going to start asking himself these questions, even with Harry in the hospital. Yeah. I wonder what the listeners right now are thinking that's going to happen next. You know what happens next, both of you, because you've read it. But things I, I had mentioned in the last episode that things are going to happen very quickly now. So things are, we're ne- nearing the end. Things happen very quickly. And it's not always what you think. Um, there are a couple of surprises, but... Um, it's did you I have a question did you find this part hard to write and hard to kind of like um mesh all the pieces together at this point I'm going to be honest with you I actually cried really okay. mm-hmm. I cried because all I could do was think about what if like how would that feel what if it was you know because my I think my son at the time when I wrote this was actually close to Harry's age And so I was picturing that my oldest with my, you know, like I was trying to go, okay, what if that, you know, so, um, it was, I cried, I actually cried. And then when I reread it, I kind of cried again, (laughs) but that, I think that's the only way you can do it is you try and picture how horrible, like, which is awful to picture how horrible something would be, but also how would I react? How would my family react? Mm -hmm. You try and think about what's the case, you know, what's, how would people act? And also trying to put your head into what Les must be thinking. That was hard. Yeah, that was too hard. Because you, I think, said it, Olga, I'd be peeved. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be furious, yeah. you know, if I were him. All those years. It wasn't like this is a three-year-old. No, no. He lost 15, almost 15 years of this child's life. I think what would take over beyond the anger later on would be resentment. And I think sometimes resentment can actually be worse than anger. Anyway, we're... Yeah, it's hard to shift resentment. Resentment takes hold of you, right? Anger usually is in the moment and you work through with it and you don't necessarily stay angry. But when you don't resolve anger, it does turn into resentment. So that's... I think it can. I think it can become very deep set. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're going to leave it there on that sad note. Sorry. It's a bit of a cliffhanger spill. It is. So we're going to continue on. I, I think my next guest is going to be in a couple of days. So we'll post that episode as soon as we can. I'll post this one as soon as I can. And just a reminder, listeners, please, please don't forget to go and uh, rate, be honest, <laughs> and review uh, the podcast so that we can uh, make sure it uh, gets in the rankings, right? We want people to be able to have access to it and see it because it is not just any other story, right? (laughs) Just like the title. Anyway, thanks so much for tuning in today. And I hope you join us next time on uh, this podcast. Nita Capri signing off. Thank you so much, Olga. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining me today and for your insights. Awesome, awesome talk. You're welcome. Okay, take care.